Welcome to Mafia, a new podcast telling stories of America's criminal underworld. Gotti assumed the position of head of the Gambino family. And using the name Donnie Brasco, I was able to infiltrate the uh, Bonanno uh, crime family in New York City. Bugsy Siegel is an American mob legend. One man changed the whole texture and landscape of crime in America. Listen to Mafia every Wednesday on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite shows. Five, four, three, two, one. Cue music. This is Movies First with Alex First and Chris Coleman. Greetings and thank you for downloading this latest edition of Movies First. My name is Chris Coleman and with me to talk about all things from the world of entertainment, with the Movies First and some live theatre thrown in, Alex First, greetings to you. Very good day to you, sir. It is always a pleasure to talk about entertainment and Very special today because I'm going to be talking about somebody who is probably the preeminent individual in my mind of 30 plus years of reviewing when it comes to live shows, especially musicals. I don't think there's anybody that I've enjoyed as much. I've seen this individual on a number of occasions. This person has won a number of Helpman Awards, has plied their trade, I'm deliberately not saying male or female, not only in Australia, and not originally born in Australia, but abroad, and is making a big name for themselves and has done over a large period of years in New York, in the UK, and in Australia. So exciting, exciting times today, Alex. Oh, indeed. Look, it's, it's amazing because my wife and I looked at each other and other people across the theatre were looking at one another and saying, oh, my golly, what have we come to witness? It is a privilege. That's what their their eyes were saying. It is a privilege to be in the audience. That is how good this individual is. Wow. OK. And, of course, this is in a stage play, and I'll, I'll throw a little bit extra into this, a stage play that is based on a movie. And I love how we're seeing this increasing trend where... Maybe. Maybe. It, it was actually... It was, it was actually a stage play made into a movie and then... And then made back into a stage yes, play. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, and I love how we're seeing this trend of, of things that... Because it used to be that a, a stage play would be made into a movie and then quite often the stage play would sink without a trace and it's great to see some of these old stage plays coming back. Oh, absolutely. I, I wholeheartedly agree. And a lot of people may not have seen it live before, even though it's been in Australia before, but there's new generations. And I can tell you something, it was on at the State Theatre at the it used to be called the Victorian Arts Centre now it's called Arts Centre Melbourne but regardless jam packed not a spare seat anywhere and it's a big venue and the only sad part of it you've only got till the 31st of July to see this but we'll talk more about that later on in this podcast well, let's get to that in a few minutes first things first we have movies and we have a movie called Lights Out to start with now, do you like horror or I'm, do you not? I'm not a big fan of the horror genre. I mean, look, I appreciate a movie that is well put together as much as the, the the next man or woman, but I think my problem with horror is that there are so many cheap horror movies, so many horror movies that are just slapdash and rely on the gore. Yeah, and also I suppose that the what, what we call the tropes, the, the characteristics are so obvious and it's very difficult to be subtle, I suppose, when you're doing horror. I used to get scared, very, very simple. I, I, it wasn't something that I found enjoyable. However, in recent times, I've seen everything and I suppose not that you – well, you get used to it to an extent. If something really scares you, though, I still jump 
And and I still actually watch some horror by putting my hands over my face and then peer through <laughs> when I open my fingers. <laughs> it's a fun way to watch it because, I mean, if it gets really scary, you get the heebie-jeebies. So Lights Out is only 81 minutes and it's rated M. The producer is James Wan. Now, he's done a lot of really good stuff. The Conjuring is the one that comes to mind, and The Conjuring too. This one is a tale of an unknown terror that lurks in the dark. When Rebecca left home, she thought she'd left her childhood fears behind. Growing up, she was never really sure of what was and what wasn't real when the lights went out. Now her little brother Martin is experiencing the same unexplained and terrifying events that had once tested Rebecca's sanity and threatened her safety. A frightening entity with a mysterious attachment to their mother, Sophie, who was a former inpatient at a mental institution, has re-emerged. In fact, Chris, the demonic spirit never really went away. This time, though, as Rebecca gets closer to unlocking the truth, there's no denying that all their lives are in danger once the lights are out. Ah. There you go. The film stars Teresa Palmer, the Australian, from Triple Nine as Rebecca, Gabriel Bateman from Annabelle as Martin, Maria Bello from Prisoners as Sophie, Billy Burke from the Twilight series is Martin's father, Paul, and Alexander de Persia from Forever is Rebecca's boyfriend, Brett. And it's the feature film directorial debut of David Sandberg from a screenplay by Eric Heiserer, who was responsible for Final Destination 5. It's actually based on Sandberg's own short film. Now, I really enjoyed the setup. Martin's father, Paul, is one of the last two at work. He's speaking with his son, young son, probably, I'm just trying to think, age-wise, well, I don't know, maybe 12, 13, 14, something like that, who says he's worried about his mother who's talking to herself. Next thing you know... Paul's employee is hearing and seeing something moving around in the dark warehouse, which is the first sign of an evil apparition. This is not going to end well. No, it's not. (laughs) A scraping sound and cursory glimpses of a fast-moving ghoul that sticks to the shadows are constants. So the ghostly figure terrorises the family whenever and wherever its members are. Teresa Palmer, really, she does a fine job providing the impetus for the action. She's out to save her younger brother from the fate that befell her, the details of which she has thus far kept under wraps. Palmer's able to channel genuine fear. I was less convinced by Gabriel Bateman, who at times I felt was too blasé in his portrayal of her younger brother. The shape-shifting apparition was suitably fear-inducing, although overall there there weren't too many jump-out-of-your-seat moments. Nevertheless, I did find Lights Out reasonably satisfying journey to the unknown involving mental illness and a possessive spectre. It's rated M in Australia, runs for 81 minutes, called Lights Out. Now, I can't remember whether it was on podcast or on radio, so apologies if we're going over old ground here, but I've raised this question before. Is there a genre that has benefited more from the improvement in Hollywood special effects or movie special effects than the horror genre? Yeah, it's probably right up there, isn't it? I mean, I suppose that creating aliens has become easier too. Yeah, valid point. 
Valid so, point, yeah. you know, alien movies would be another one. And, and just action sequences generally. Oh, no, see, I think action movies, I think they've gone too far. Ghostbusters, the most recent one being a case in point, and I appreciate it's largely a comedy, but the action sequences in that, there was too much. Yeah, you know, I, the, the, I understand. Some people... Die Hard, <laughs> one through infinity, you know, the, as, as it's progressed, you know, the... Um, the, what, what was the one, Die Hard 4, where he was, Bruce Willis was on, on the plane? Yeah, uh, right. as, as in, not on the aeroplane, but actually on the outside of the fighter, jet fighter, you know? Hang on, that's commonplace, isn't it, in movies <laughs> these days? What, what, what are you knocking that for? <laughs> yeah, they, look, I tell you what, what would they do if they put special effects into Police Academy 37? Oh, dear me, yeah. yeah. No, see, they, they had special effects years ago. It was called Michael Winslow. Uh, we, yes, we, well, uh, hey, I've got to say something about this, though. Mm. The, the reality is that effects are one thing, but I kind of... There used to be a genre of filmmaking, and I haven't seen it for some time, where they didn't use any anything extraneous. They didn't use extra lights. They didn't use anything. They used natural conditions. And there, there was a breed of filmmaker that only made things like that. And it, it was sort of – I kind of like the purity of it. But I suppose these days the expectation is that it looks good. And, you know, that's I, – I, we spoke last podcast about – the movie Star Trek Beyond. Mm. And there's one scene in that which clearly involves special effects. It's only one scene. I didn't mention this the other day. And I just thought it looked amateurish. It didn't work. It it involved a motorbike. And to me, the motorbike wasn't really sort of travelling, traversing across the, the alien planet like it was meant to. It was the only scene I picked up but I just don't th- because these days they spend years on this stuff, right? Literally. And I just thought that was a fault. So there you go. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, have you given a score? I don't think you have for Lights I have Out. Not. Lights Out, six and a half to seven out of ten. Okay, let's go to a completely different genre now, the the interview into a movie genre. And this is something that has popped up from time to time, most notably probably with Frost Nixon. Yes. Uh, yeah, uh, there have been other films like this. And now we have Hitchcock Truffaut. Yeah, except that this one, Frost Nixon was a dramatised. It wasn't a documentary. mm Right, whereas this one is. This, yeah, the doco, but it's still the, the interview movie thing. Yes, it is, yeah. definitely. And Hitchcock Truffaut is PG-rated in Australia, 80 minutes only. 62, 1962, Alfred Hitchcock was putting his final editing touches to The Birds. The Birds was his 48th feature, Chris, and a 30-year-old three-time filmmaker in Francois Truffaut persuaded Hitchcock to sit for a week-long interview covering every one of his pictures. Isn't that amazing? As someone who, who breaks into a cold sweat when I, when I do long-form interviews that go for more than an hour, uh, I can't imagine doing uh, a week-long interview with anyone. Well, basically what they did is they, every morning, Hitchcock would pick up Truffaut at the Beverly Hills Hotel to take him to his office at Universal Studios. And every, each of them wore, wore a microphone there was a sound engineer in the next room recording their voices and they kept the running conversation going from 9 o'clock to 6 o'clock every day and they even talked their way through lunch. And it began on the 13th of August 1962, which happens to have been Alfred Hitchcock's 63rd birthday. Now, why, why you might ask, well, Truffaut wanted to show American critics that they were wrong to underestimate the great man's movies because they saw them at that point only from an entertainment perspective and he was keen to illustrate just what a consummate craftsman 
Hitchcock, often referred to as the master of suspense, was, so in command of his chosen art form. And the conversations between these two men profoundly altered the critical approach to Hitchcock cinema around the world because there was a book released four years later and it transformed the power balance between the artists and the film industry. So Truffaut effectively unmasked an artist's secrets, revealing Hitchcock's conception of pictures in the world. That explains the stir that the tome created when it was first released, its translation into many languages and the fact that many cinephiles have used it as a reference in the past and still do so today. Well, if you get inside the mind of someone like Alfred Hitchcock, it really would be almost the ultimate movie-making textbook. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's what... That is exactly... They used a lot of pictures, and that's what this book was. Hitchcock Crufo was the name of the book. This one is a documentary by Kent Jones, and it's a contemporary reinterpretation of Hitchcock cinema. And by highlighting the main themes with a large number of clips from Hitchcock's movies... So instead of stills, they've obviously got clips... Ten contemporary filmmakers reiterate the technical and narrative questions and aesthetic questions at the heart of these conversations with Truffaut. And it shows us literally, step by step, using illustrative examples, what Hitchcock did. And thanks to the original sound recordings of of those discussions, it's like the book has suddenly come to life. So Truffaut's legacy, generated by instigating this elongated conversation with Hitch is incalculable. It's only fitting that this modern cinematic representation seen through the lens of today's auteurs takes the book one step further. And I I really found it fascinating. It's insightful, so wonderfully exemplified by the many Hitchcock movie excerpts that are used. And, And it served to reinforce just why so many had such high regard for the genius that Alfred Hitchcock was, my myself very much included. And those people that are interviewed, let me give you some of the names. Martin Scorsese, David Fincher, Richard Linklater, Wes Anderson, Peter Bogdanovich. That's just five of the ten. Gee, so that's, that's some names. Yeah, absolutely. So this is a ripper of a film for those people who love Hitchcock movies and it'll, it'll put a new complexion on them as well. So Hitchcock Truffaut, rated PG, 80 minutes, and I'm going to give it a seven and a half to eight out of ten. That's excellent. That sounds like a really interesting one to watch, a, a documentary with a, with a very big difference. Now, Alex, before we jump into our next movie, which is uh, we really are all over the place, I want to throw in a, a mention of something that I've spotted uh, coming up at, at the Dendi Cinema chain. Now, I'm not sure whether Dendi still exists in Melbourne as a chain. I know they are in Canberra and in Brisbane and in well, Sydney. Yes. I, I mean, I, I think that we're talking about films that may be screened at Palace Cinemas in Melbourne, but, but uh, you know, check it out. Yeah, well, what, what I'm going to mention, and I, again, check out the check, check the Palace website to see if they're doing it. Certainly at the Dendi in in Canberra uh, and in Sydney, not the the Opera House, but Dendi Newtown and Dendi in Brisbane, they've got a new initiative, and it starts on the first of August. It's called Quota Long Sessions. Have you ever heard of a Quota Long no. Film Session? Now, these things, I mention this because I think this is this is tremendous. Have you ever been to a movie? say of, well, I'll, I'll use one of the, the examples here, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, where someone has known, has obviously been and seen it several times and they start to talk along with it and you turn around and you shh, shh, shh. Mm. Right? These movies are not like that. These are, you go along and if you know the words, join in. Quote along uh, yes. with the movie. I've actually been to something like this and I did it with The Sound of Music. Yes. So, yeah, so that, that would be a sing-along 
or that was a sing along. Sing along. Well, this is a quote along. Now, what they're quote doing along, yes. now, these are starting, and as far as I can tell, the 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 uh, this, um, the sessions are the same in all the Dendi cinemas. So they're starting on on the first of August with Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Uh, Excellent. I will now go through all the, all the all the movies because some of them, and I'm going to go and see some of these, uh, just right. because I think it'll be great fun to be there for this quote along type session. Anchorman: The Legend of Ron Burgundy. <laughs> yes. Clueless. Mean Girls, Step Brothers, The Breakfast Club, The Fifth Element, The Princess Bride, and Wayne's World. Very nice. Now they've managed to cover in that whole setup just so many of these cult cult favourite movies that people know, or many or almost every line to. And there, are, I will plead guilty. There are at least two in that setup that I probably know far better than I should. <laughs> so, in other words, if you don't like people talking during movies, this is not something for you. If, on the other hand, you like to get in the spirit of things, I think there'll be a hoot. Yeah, according to the Dendy website, it says, join us for cult classics, including Anchorman's and Wayne World, and show off your encyclopedic knowledge of the legendary dialogue, there's no shushing allowed. So, <laughs> there yeah. you go. And they're um, one session of each of these films over, over a couple-month period, and I hope there's more of them, and I hope more cinemas pick up with them, because, yeah, it should be great fun. Anyway, just thought I would give that a mention. It is, an, it is an unsolicited, unpaid plug for Dendy. Let's move on now to Swiss Army Man. Yes, this is going to be a film for selective tastes. It's rated M in Australia, 97 minutes. It's a buddy black comedy marking the feature film debut for a couple of music video directors, Daniel Scheinert and Daniel Kwan, collectively known as Daniels. Okay. How surprising. It's seriously weird stuff that gets weirder the longer it goes. And it's theatre of the absurd, going from the emotional to the whimsical and, dare I say, occasionally the profound and back again. (laughs) Hank, Paul Dano, is a man lacking in confidence. He's stranded on a deserted island. He's given up all hope of ever making it home again. He's quite literally ready to top himself via a hangman's noose when he spots a corpse washed up on the beach. Right, so he's about to hang himself, and lo and behold, some body gets washed up. That pale-faced cadaver is Manny, Daniel Radcliffe. Suddenly, the stiff is letting out ginormous amounts of wind. So, so this is this is Daniel Radcliffe playing a farting corpse, and yep. that, uh, that that's the extent of his role. Yes, but I uh, yes, but a farting, okay, a farting corpse can do more. Right? I'm about to tell you what more. With little, if any, signs of life, save for farting and becoming a human water fountain. Imagination, really. (laughs) Hank takes it upon himself to assume that Manny may well be his personal saviour, regardless of the fact that he's dead. Some half an hour into the film, Manny speaks for the first time. He's like a child who knows not what this world is about. And before you know it, Hank is informing Manny about masturbation and girls. Okay. Through it all, Hank carries Manny on his back, because he can't walk, as he tries to find a way off the island. And Hank creates things, other people, a bus, a window, playthings out of sticks and garbage. Mm Mm-hmm. On Hank's mobile phone, 
which is very low on charge and which naturally does not have any network signal. He's stranded on a deserted island, after all. Hang on, how only... long has he been on the island for? Yeah, exactly. Okay, is sorry, the... I didn't mean to pick no, out no, the no, plot no, we're hole. Not gonna, all we're right. not going to go there. All right. Is the home screen photo of an attractive woman that Hank met on a bus. Manny, childlike Manny, falls for her immediately. It turns out <laughs> she's a lady who rides on the bus with Hank frequently, but Hank can't bring himself to talk to her. Hank and Manny are, well, a pair of decided oddballs who become fast friends. Swiss Army Man, surreal filmmaking that explores vulnerability and connection. For instance, one of the movie's most indelible images is Hank riding a flatulent Manny at pace over the ocean like a jet ski. Not not once, but twice. Uh, His flatulence propels him. It was, in fact, that vision that also propelled the two mates, the Daniels, who met in an animation class they took in college to go on to write and direct their first feature. Incidentally, they did not like each other at first because... Daniel Scheinert was vocal and opinionated and Daniel Kwan was introverted and guarded. But over a couple of semesters, they came to respect each other's differing approaches to creating. Imagination knows no bounds and this picture won the directing prize at this year's Sundance Film Festival. That's usually a pretty good recommendation. It is. Well, Swiss Army Man goes from somewhat intriguing to off-the-planet nutty. The more obtuse it got, the less I liked it. Mind you, I admired the imagination, the ideas, but I I thought that at times the narrative actually got away from the filmmakers. What I'm saying is that creativity for creativity's sake is not enough when it comes to engaging most audiences for the entire duration of a feature film, art house or otherwise. The manic nature of the acting by... Dano in particular seemed to suit his sensibilities as an actor though and as a result he did make the role his own and Radcliffe too threw himself into the challenge of playing almost a wooden marionette a la Pinocchio who grew up being educated by Geppetto in his case in Radcliffe's case instruction comes from Dano it is an unusual bromance Swiss Army Man one for selective tastes who can embrace the weird and the phantasmagorical it is a very unusual piece of work. So that is from the collective known as Daniels, not even with a V, just known as Daniels. I suspect that this is not the last we've heard of the Daniels, especially seeing they were receiving accolades from Sundance. <laughs> it sounds like, from the description, Alex, it sounds like they've seen they've had a very drunk weekend together. They've watched Weekend at Bernie's and possibly then yes. seen Cast Away with Tom Hanks. Yes, well done. A, a, a nice combination. Six to six and a half out of ten for this movie. Is that one of these movies that some people are going to rate a nine and some are going to rate a three and therefore you've plumped for a six? Yeah, I reckon. Okay. Look, I, I, no, no, I, there, there are elements that I really appreciated. I mean that. But it, it, I think it lost its way at times. And, I mean, it's only a short movie, but it still lost its way at times. So how, how can you lose your way when you can ride a flatulent corpse home? Yeah. How many ways you can actually engage with a flatulent corpse? I suppose that was the big question that was asked in this movie. And, look, you've got to ask, as I did afterwards, is the corpse 
actually a corpse or is the corpse a corpse that was brought back to life or is it a figment of Dano's imagination? Hmm. I'll let you judge when you go and see it. Okay, it's called Swiss Army Man. Um, it's different, and it scores between six and six and a half out of ten. Let's move from movies to live theatre now. And Alex, I know because you spoke to me about it before. You, you very rarely tell me when you what you're going to see on stage before you sure. go and see it. This one, you were really excited about it about Funny Girl. So you were excited before you went. Did it stack up? Oh unbelievably so production company the production company's funny girl at the state theater art center melbourne and it's only on till the 31st of this month 31st of july 2016 you would be hard pressed to find a more accomplished musical theater performer on the big stage than caroline o'connor she is in a league of her own she sizzles she's pure dynamite the best of the best of the best in almost every scene as the not all that attractive but determined and dogmatic Broadway performer Fanny Bryce, she struts, she pouts, she jiggles. She's got this magnificent self-deprecating sense of humour. She sings up a storm with her perfectly pitched big voice, leaving the audience gasping at her accomplishments. I kid you not. As a matter of fact... O'Connor reprises the role she played for the production company in its inaugural season in 1999. Wow. She is now 53 years young. She looks like a 20-something-year-old. Extraordinary. Fanny Bryce is a stand-by-your-man type who, after meeting handsome entrepreneur and inveterate gambler Nick Arnstein, played by David Hobson, who makes his production company debut, is immediately smitten. There's no consideration of the consequences, regardless of the warnings she receives from others. Set in and around New York City around the time of the First World War, Fanny and Nick have a stormy relationship during which he's constantly away. Now, step backing, stepping back a moment, when we're first introduced to Fanny, she's desperate to land her first job in vaudeville, and in that endeavour, she's helped by a dancer that she meets, Eddie Ryan, played by Luke Oliva. On her way to making it and becoming a star, it's a besotted Arnstein who ensures her paycheck is a significant one. Her mother, Mrs Bryce, played by veteran stage performer Nancy Hayes, is a constant presence. Of course, she wants to ensure the very best for her daughter, but she cannot prevent the unravelling of her relationship with Arnstein over time. With the production company Orchestra directed by Anthony Gabriel taking centre stage because they used to use Orchestra Victoria, but that's now been enveloped by another theatre company and therefore they've now created their own orchestra. I think that's fantastic. So Anthony Gabriel is the conductor and the music is just wonderful. He does a great job. The action takes place in front of the orchestra and it's literally centre stage and immediately above, courtesy of two large curved 12-step staircases on either side that have little lights, fairy lights as I call them, sort of illuminating them. The costumes are terrific as well, really, really good. They, the, the beaut part of it, they use some props, but they don't overdo it. That's what the production company does extraordinarily well. They save money that they would... In the big productions, they really throw the kitchen sink at it. This doesn't look like a cut-down version, but it doesn't use the same 
number of sets and props and so forth as the bigger productions might do, and yet the level of professionalism is every bit as good. The other thing is that the cost of these is incredibly affordable by comparison. Now, what I might try and do is find... I was sent a news release about this which talks about the costs and usually I don't talk about the costs because I, I let people find that out for my for themselves. I might try and find that out for you right now only because I think that will encourage people to to go along. So Well I can it, tell you I've dug them up on the screen right here. For the production company yep. single single tickets range from twenty four dollars through to one hundred and thirty. Yeah. Now, and they 24. do cheaper tickets for uh, for the Wednesday matinee. Yeah, and twenty four dollars. I mean, this is a hundred dollar plus production. I'm I'm not kidding. This is every bit as good as anything you're going to pay one hundred and twenty or one hundred and thirty dollars for. Extraordinary. Fourteen numbers in the first act, nine in the second. Direction from Gail Edwards, just a pro at doing this sort of thing. She's she's wonderful. And choreography from Kelly Abbey. So it's a couple of very big names. 29 in the cast includes Susan Ann Walker, David Ross Patterson, Greg Stone, Judith Roberts and Jan Russ in lead roles. It's a most enjoyable and entertaining night or matinee of entertainment. The musical originally opened on Broadway in March 1964 with Babs, Barbara Streisand in the lead role, which she reprised on the West End in April 1966, so March 64 and then April 66 in London. Of course, Funny Girl was turned into a film directed by William Wyler, starring Barbara Streisand and Omar Sharif. That came out in 1968. So you've got 64, 66, and then 68. And Streisand, who then reprised her Broadway role, received the Academy Award for Best Actress. She tied with Catherine Hepburn. I don't think there's ever been another tie. I don't think so. I think it's famously the only one. Yeah, and, and Catherine Hepburn, for, for those people who are following this, received the award for The Lion in Winter. Now, although it's been quite a while since I saw that film, what I can say without any fear of contradiction is that Caroline O'Connor ensures the production company's stage musical is one that will live on in my memory for the rest of my days. Such a dominant, dexterous, delightful performance is indeed a rare gem. Please, if you can, buy a ticket before it is too late. Funny Girl is on at the State Theatre, Arts Centre Melbourne, until the 31st of July. Nine out of ten. It is a wonderful show. Excellent. And uh, the production company has a, a tremendous season coming up with some other stuff in there as well. So well worth checking out their website. Ties at the Oscar, Alex. Be- Oscars, Alex, before we go. Yes. There have been altogether half a dozen, but you'd be oh. hard-pressed to remember them. Um, right. Because uh, Best Actress 1969 was, as you referred to, probably uh, the best known of the lot. Each received, by the way, 3,030 votes. Oh, they give the votes, fantastic. But but have there been any of the other major awards that have been tied? Best Actor in, yes. no, in 1932. Wow, OK. <laughs> actor Frederick March had uh, one more vote than competitor Wallace Beery, but because the votes were so close, under a different voting system, the Academy right. gave them both a gong, uh, leaving poor Alfred Lunt standing on the sidelines. So March, Frederick March won for his performance in Dr Jekyll and Mr Hyde, while Wallace Beery won for The Champ, which was, of course, famously remade with John Voight in 1979. Yeah, yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, so that was uh, a, a tie there. Otherwise, you're talking about best short 
uh, documentary yes, in 1950, say... best doco in 1987, best short film live action in 1995, uh, and best sound editing in 2013. And if someone yeah. wants to, to check those out, uh, they can do so on the on, on the internet because I'm sure that well there's done. plenty of pages that cover them. Well done. I, yeah, I, I I must admit I, I I had no idea that it was also tied as an actor. But, yeah, I was thinking about the big awards, not that I'm denouncing the fact that anybody wins an Oscar, gee, that's that's phenomenal. But uh, There's one Fle- more than you and I have got. <laughs> exactly. Funny Girl and Caroline O'Connor, uh, I mean, she has won a lot of awards. She has done a great deal. If you Google her sort of persona online, you will find out just how big a name she is, not just here, but elsewhere. Really, she's a she's a very... She, her education was through the Royal Ballet School. Thank you very much indeed. I mean, not not bad, eh? No, you know, not I mean, bad at all. I'm just, I'm just now sort of Googling her bio to give you some sort of, you know, highlights and, and whatever. Of course, do you remember she was in Chicago as Velma Kelly? Mm-hmm. Won the Mo Award for Female Musical Theatre... Performer of the Year and a Green Room Award. Yeah, see, Chicago is one of my favourite musicals. Oh, it's true. And, and and then she made her Broadway debut in two thousand and two with that. So, and she received an Olivier nomination for Best Actress in a Musical for Mac and Mabel. She's performed with Sydney, Melbourne, and Adelaide Symphony Orchestras. She performed for Her Majesty the Queen in a Royal Variety performance. Australian productions include Bombshells. I remember that fantastic, written especially for Caroline by Joanna Murray Smith. And she'd filmed bombshells for ABC TV. She toured the play to sell out performances at the Edinburgh Festival, where she won the coveted Fringe First Award. London's West End. I mean, wow. And she received her second Laurence Olivier Award nomination. And the World Stage Festival in Toronto in Canada. Man of La Mancha, Piaf, Oklahoma. Concert productions of Funny Girl and Mac and Mabel. Her own show from stage to screen, presented at the Sydney Opera House, filmed for Australian TV. I mean, it just goes on and on. And, so, and a nine out of ten from you on on movies first. You know, if there is a bigger accolade, I don't know what there is. Well, she, by the way, she she was not born here. She was born in Lancashire. England. Well, like all good Australians, she was born overseas. Born overseas <laughs> to Irish parents, and she moved to Sydney and and started singing before she could speak. And, and at age ten, she was crowned Australian Irish Dance Champ champion. There you go. So, I, look, and, and she's won all sorts. I think she's won three Helpman Awards. Somebody can correct me, but I believe she's. Hang on, there's a full list of, of awards here. I can I can now verify that. Gee whiz, it just goes for pages. Yeah, I mean, she's she's won so much stuff. I'm just having a look at. No, this is this is not the most recent one, but I believe she's won three Helpman Awards. So, there we go. That's Caroline O'Connor. Look out for her. Just dynamite. She's she's a pocket dynamo. She's she's about my height, I think. <laughs> Diminu- <laughs> diminutive, but uh, just just a great great big voice. And uh, I I could I mean I could see this production not just twice, but virtually every night, and I, I wouldn't tire of it. It's that good. Excellent stuff. Funny Girl, a very short season in Melbourne, but check it out if you get the chance. And Alex, we will return for another edition of Movies First in a few days' time. Sounds terrific. Have a nice one. Bye. He's Alex First. I'm Chris Coleman. We'll catch you again soon. You've been listening to Movies First with Alex First and Chris Coleman. Subscribe to the full podcast at Audioboom, Stitcher and iTunes or your favourite podcast distributor. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com. 
Welcome to Mafia, a new podcast telling stories of America's criminal underworld. Gotti assumed the position of head of the Gambino family. And using the name Donnie Brasco, I was able to infiltrate the uh, Bonanno uh, crime family in New York City. Bugsy Siegel is an American mob legend. One man changed the whole texture and landscape of crime in America. Listen to Mafia every Wednesday on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite shows.